Our sermon text this morning is from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1 and going all the way to chapter 4, verse 4. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 4. Now hear the word of the Lord. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when you decided to release him, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know in the faith that is through Jesus, has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, and thus he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. This is the word of the Lord. 
thanks be to God. All right, let's pray together. Father, we come today humbled by this uh, story told to us in this passage, story of how uh, a lame man was made to walk. Lord, we confess that, that often uh, these kind of thing feels so hard to, to believe and know in a world that's so full of sin and so difficult. So I pray that you would give us grace and faith um, this morning. God, I pray that you would uh, give us strength to emulate what we hear in this passage this morning. Strength to minister boldly. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know uh, in our city, in our church, what ministry should look like and to pursue that, Lord. God, I pray gratefulness that you've gathered us here today to hear this word. I pray that we would uh, hear it gratefully, and I pray that we would hear it um, with ready hearts, ready to receive it and to act upon it. Lord, we thank you for this word passed down to us this morning. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, we have uh, come this morning to the story of man who is made lame from birth, made to walk through the power of Christ. Now, apparently, there is a legendary story about this passage. I'm not sure if it's true or not. Um, it doesn't really matter. Uh, we still get the same effect from it. Um, but uh, it involves Thomas Aquinas and Pope Innocent II. So Thomas Aquinas, if you don't know him, uh, was a medieval theologian who lived in the 1200s. He lived during the height of the church's power, right? Um, like you may think, oh, you know, the American church today has a lot of influence, money, power. No, nothing, nothing compared to this day and time where um, Thomas Aquinas lived. And so uh, one day, uh, Thomas Aquinas happened in on uh, the Pope while he was counting a large sum of money. And the Pope looked at him and he said, Thomas, uh, the church can no longer say silver and gold have I none? Aquinas replied, True, Holy Father, neither can she now say, Rise up and walk. This is a striking story, because it strikes right at the heart of, um, of us today. We may, may not have this kind of power, that, uh, like the, the church may not have this kind of power or money that they had in the time of Thomas Aquinas, but I mean, even today, like just to give you numbers from the Southern Baptist Convention alone, like with even with declining attendance numbers, there's still 14 and a half million members in Southern Baptist Convention churches. There was last year, in the fiscal year that ended in 2020, $192 million given to the Southern Baptist Convention. And mind you, that's during a pandemic. And remember, $192 million is only a small percentage of what the churches themselves receive, right? So we live in a time of, where the church has prospered. A great thing. I don't, I don't want to undermine that. But I do believe we uh, experience a risk of losing something that these apostles had. Emboldened ministry. 
bold ministry. Today, I want to encourage us to pursue bold ministry, the same kinds that was, uh, it was done here by Peter, John, the rest of the apostles, empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's a lot going on in this passage. There's a lot of things that this passage is, you know, about, right? Obviously, it's about a man who was lame from birth, who was made to walk. Obviously, it's a story of how Peter and John ministered in such a way that they came to be in prison for a time. Obviously, this, this helps us to understand, you know, kind of the ministry that was done by the apostles here uh, in, in this time recently after Christ was resurrected and the Holy Spirit came upon them. But more than that, more than any of that, I see the Holy Spirit at work empowering two men to attempt incredible things, this healing of this lame man and in proclaiming the gospel in the midst of this temple to... Uh, attempt these incredible, very bold things in the name of Jesus Christ. So I'll confess to you, there is a lot about me. There's a lot about me that does not make me the ideal person to preach about boldness from this passage. Um, I am not naturally a bold person. That is a fact. Uh, my hands sweat a lot, and it is not because I'm overheating. It's just because of all the things running through my brain. There's got to be an outlet, like, somewhere, you know? Um, like, I'm... Uh, uh, like, you, you think I would be really excited to preach for the first time without a mask in a year, and I think weird things like, I hope my mouth doesn't look weird, um, you know? Like, uh, even just this week, even just this week, uh, I, I went to lunch at Sonic, and I pulled in, I ordered a quarter-pound double cheeseburger. Modest ask, right, you know? Um, just, just enough to get me through the day. Uh, what I got instead was like the hamburger, like the, you know, the smallest hamburger on the menu, the cheapest one, like not even a cheeseburger, mind you, just like just more bun than burger, mustard, ketchup, pickle. And I just took it like a chump, right? You know, um, I didn't even have the boldness to ask for the right burger uh, that I ordered. So I'm not a naturally bold person, but a lot of that I have spent a lot of time thinking about boldness, what's required for boldness, what boldness can produce, and, and how I don't have it and need it, right? I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. Furthermore, there have been times in my life where the Holy Spirit has worked in me in such a way that, that I have had boldness. I mean, I think I've deprecated myself enough for you to know that any time that I have boldness, it's not natural, right? It's not from me, but there have been times in my life where the Spirit has ministered through me and empowered me. I mean, the fact that I do this at all, this public speaking, says a lot because in private, I think about things like, did I use me or I correctly? You know, like, uh, I'm, I'm just that neurotic, but the power of the Spirit uh, has, has given me the ability to minister boldly at times. I say all that to say that I know that this is a reality that can happen for us, right? That the ability to minister boldly is not some ancient miracle way back in the past that has no relevance for us in our ministry today, but we um, have the ability to minister boldly. And so if that, if that is available to us, I want us to use our collective imaginations. What would it be like if our church pursued bold ministry, right? What would it look like in Tupelo? Would we reach out to those and, and give them dignity and care and love that are hurting? 
Would we be able to reach out to the lost and extend to them boldly the message of the gospel so that they may be saved from their sins and turn to Christ? Would we be able to speak to one another in our church clearly? Would we be able to avoid gossiping and speak directly to one another? Would we, um, would we be able to be honest and open about the struggles and difficulties that we're facing to other people? That, I believe, is why bold ministry is so necessary for us. Bold ministry is available to us. And now, um, I want us to look at the bold ministry of these men, Peter and John, uh, very closely. And I, I want us to do that by understanding three things. One, the barriers that they face to bold ministry. Number two, the source that they had for bold ministry. And number three, the outcome of their bold ministry. So barriers, uh, source, and outcome. And we begin with barriers. Now, you may be thinking at this point, why? Okay, if you want us to pursue bold ministry, why would you emphasize the barriers that these people face to bold ministry. I want us to focus on the barriers for three reasons. Number one, um, obviously, if we look carefully at uh, these men and, and the, the boldness in their ministry, uh, excuse me, the obstacles that they had, the boldness in their ministry, we're going to be able to sympathize with them, right? We'll be able to get in their shoes a little bit better, understand what they were going through, what could have been going through their heads. Um, we'll be able to understand obstacles um, and sympathize with that. Number two, it'll help us to understand the boldness that was required of them to overcome those barriers, right? Um, what, what they needed uh, within them to overcome the barriers that they faced. Last of all, um, it should help us to identify our own barriers and challenges that we have towards bold ministry in our own life. The first barrier, the first barrier that we see um, against emboldened ministry for Peter and John was the barrier of familiarity. And you may think, familiarity doesn't sound like much of a barrier to boldness. I mean, I'm, I'm most bold and frank around those that I know best. Here's what I mean. Let's, let's read um, verses 1 and 2, chapter 3 here. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So Luke writes that this lame man came to the temple every day to ask for alms. So uh, this, was, this was not like, you know, he just happened to be here today. You know, sometimes he's over in this side of town. Sometimes he, he came daily to the gate of the temple. And Peter and John, being regular and devout uh, devout Jews, I'm sure, would have frequented the temple and probably been more or less familiar with this man, right? We know people in, in our own life uh, who, they, they have a spot where they, they, um, they've had a hard time, and so they frequent a spot, they, they're there every day um, where lots of people pass by to, to ask for some sums of money to help get them by. Okay, well, this is a similar situation. I imagine that Peter and John it, it would have been familiar with this man. They would have uh, been able to identify him. The reason that this would be a barrier is because uh, I believe there, there would be a temptation to think, uh, as there is often a temptation for me to think in similar situations, why would I help today? I mean, they've been here for months and months and months. Why not wait till tomorrow or next week? Like, what's the urgency? What's the rush? Why would I break this familiar pattern that I have to, to go minister 
to this man. Well, um, they did not allow that to be a barrier to them, this, this familiar sense to them. Though I believe often we allow it to be a barrier to us. We have people in our life that we're very familiar with, we're very comfortable with, right? It, we, we talk ball with them, you know, we talk work with them, we have the same cycles of conversation that we go through again and again and again with those people. Um, our relationships are very predictable, familiar, and we don't really like to shake those things up, right? We like the warm, comfortable familiarity. I feel the danger in that is that eventually what begins as familiarity begins to breed apathy. We, we begin by saying, oh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll handle it later, or we begin by saying, you know, I don't really, this, that would be awkward to broach a difficult topic with these guys. I don't really want to do that today, and eventually we get accustomed to that, and we get to the point where we simply don't care, right? We, we don't care about their suffering. We don't care uh, that they are in need of Christ, and so familiarity can breed apathy, but boldness is able to overcome this. The power of the Spirit is able to overcome what holds us down and keeps us from breaching the status quo with those in our lives in need of Christ. But they do not only face familiarity as a barrier to bold ministry, but they also faced steep odds. So not, uh, so not only familiarity, but also steep odds. Now, the way that these, these odds their ministry uh, working uh, were steep being a couple ways. Number one, the difficulty of the problem that they were facing. And number two, the difficulty of accomplishing the solution they pursued, right? The difficulty of the problem and the difficulty in the solution. So the problem that, they, that these two uh, apostles were attempting to address was nearly impossible to overcome. I mean, remember, this man had been lame since birth, right? He, he had uh, at no point in his life been able to walk, to use his legs. No point had that been accessible to him. And so, I, you know, I imagine the people that dropped him off there that morning expected to come pick him up that evening, right? Because they, they didn't think that he was going to be able to walk home. There, there was an uh, understanding that this man was probably never going to be able to walk as many of us are. And so, one must imagine the temptation for Peter at this point to say, whoa, 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 let's pump the brakes here a little bit. Um, am I really about to go to this lifelong disabled man and just tell him, get up and walk in the name of Christ? I mean, geez, what if it doesn't work? I mean, think about the name of Christ, you know? I, I'm, I'm uh, trying to perform the same kind of miracles that, that Christ performed, and I mean, what if nothing happens? You know, I mean, this is, he's been like this his entire life. This is an immense and difficult problem, but Peter did not allow the, the immensity of the problem to keep him from addressing it. But we also have to notice how, um, how difficult the solution was to accomplish. Let's just read what their solution was here to this immensely difficult problem. The beginning in verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. 
So just note the way that these men address this problem. Like, think about that. They're like, made eye contact. Look at me. I don't have silver and gold, but I do have this. Stand up and walk. That is an immense faith. By this, this man regained movement in his legs. That was the solution to this immensely difficult problem that they pursued. So do you think it was easy for Peter to say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk? It may have been. It may have been easy for Peter to do that. But I doubt it because I believe that often, often we're tempted away from pursuing from pursuing ministry because we do not have enough faith in the solutions we offer. I mean, surely you've noticed how easy and simple the gospel is, right? Uh, there, there's been this immense wedge put between us and God. And the solution to that, the solution to that is simply faith in Jesus and boom, we are reconciled to God. That's incredible. Or think about the way that we, we understand ourselves to grow, like we have a pattern of, of uncontrollable anger, and the solution is, is this ancient book in, in prayer and ministry um, through the Holy Spirit. It, the solutions seem so easy, and if we lack faith, maybe we will not pursue them. But thankfully, Peter gives us a better example. And we can, we're going to compartmentalize here with like faith healing, faith healers, and put that over here handle that not today uh but what we do see is that they had immense faith in the solutions that they offered and so um if if however we look at the problems that we have and we look at and we we lack faith in the solutions that we offer in christ we will be tempted towards hopelessness we may look at our neighborhood and and shake our head and say gosh these people are too far gone. They, they just have too much money, they, or they, have, they don't have enough money, they have, they have too many other problems. They are never going to repent and believe in Christ. Or maybe we look at somebody in our family who's, who's caught in a deep uh, addiction of some kind, and we say, what's the point in bothering? People after people have, have gone to them and tried, and nothing's ever worked. They've never repented. They, they, they've never uh, sought help. What's the point? And trying anything here. That hopelessness is to our shame. We as Christians believe that our Savior rose from the dead for the salvation of mankind. That he is seated at the right hand of God in power. And we give in to hopelessness. Do we not believe in the power of the gospel? In the power of the resurrection? So just note, Peter and John, they face steep odds in their ministry here. Steep odds um, in, in an impossible solution and what seemed like but, but not truly was an overly simple solution. But regardless, they proceeded in bold ministry, telling this man to rise and walk. This is true boldness in the face of obstacles. However, there is one more barrier. There's one more barrier here that we need to cover. And this one, this barrier, uh, beyond uh, familiarity and steep odds, is probably the most difficult one they face, and that is the barrier of high stakes. Understand how these men were ministering in the midst of high stakes. Uh, let's, let's review some circumstances up to this point. All right, so a short time ago, in Jerusalem, uh, Jesus was betrayed by one of his own disciples. 
The Jewish authorities there took him through a kangaroo court and they ramrodded him through to execution by the brutal process of crucifixion. So all of the disciples, all of his disciples scatter from sheer terror and horror, fear that they would be next. All of this happened because the Jewish authorities hated Jesus and his miracles and his teaching. And now here they were in Jerusalem, same city, not just in Jerusalem, but at the temple, you know, the place where Jewish authorities were most likely to be, doing the same things that Jesus did and healing one who was lame and uh, preaching the gospel. I hope you're starting to see the picture. What they were doing here was not safe. I imagine if, if we were there in that time, many of us, including myself, would, would probably advise them, hey guys, this isn't wise. Like, you're bringing a lot of heat on us. You're bringing a lot of attention on this, on this early church that we have growing here. Um, there's just so much potential for, for damage to come to us, right? And, and specifically these guys, there, there is the um, risk of death and imprisonment. I mean, you want to talk about a barrier to bold ministry. Risk of death and imprisonment is about as big of a barrier as it gets. So, um, you, you, you talk about these other odds, familiarity, steep odds, all that, or excuse me, those other barriers, familiarity, steep odds. That's like an 8 out of 10 difficulty, right, that you need a lot of boldness to overcome. Well, you add in the risk of imprisonment and death, that shoots up to like a 15 out of 10, right? This is going to require immense boldness from them. But even here, even in this manner, did not stop them from ministering to this man and proclaiming the gospel in the temple. So, um, ultimately, uh, they, they did not give in to the fear that high stakes tempted them towards. Frequently, when we face high stakes like this, high stakes is a barrier to bold ministry. They tempt us towards fear. I'm sure you're aware that many of the early Christians faced immense persecution for their faith. I mean, those in, in Rome were thrown to the lions for the viewing pleasure of the whole city, right? One of the earliest accounts in the Christian martyr that we have is that of Polycarp. Polycarp was an old man and a very devout Christian. Um, as he, he lived in that time where, where persecution was, was ramping up, he had to be convinced by his friends to move out of town, move to the countryside to avoid persecution. He was unable to avoid persecution even there. came for him. Authorities came to him to arrest him, and uh, as they, they came upon him, um, the, uh, he had the opportunity to escape, but said, God's will be done. So they took him into custody. They called on him to repent of his faith in Christ. Polycarp's response to this, legendary. 86 years I've served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and savior? So Polycarp was, was led to the fire where he praised the name of Christ and was put to death. We, in our faith and the legacy of those who have come before us, from our savior himself, Christ himself, to Peter and John to Polycarp to the, the martyrs of the day. We have a legacy of high stakes, but we have never had a legacy of fear. And so I pray that we would not allow these high stakes to move us into 
uh, lack of movement and bold ministry. So to summarize, the ministry by Peter and John was met with extraordinary obstacles to boldness, right? Uh, familiarity, steep odds, high stakes. In much of the same way, we face, um, we face uh, barriers to bold ministry in our own life. Familiarity begs us to maintain what's comfortable, to go with the status quo, to not break the regular rhythms of our, our life and our relationships. Steep odds tempt us to throw up our hands and say, why bother? Uh, the high stakes loom over us like a bouncer, just daring us to make a move and uh, trying to pin us to the ground. However, apathy, hopelessness, and fear are not, are not the path pursued by these apostles, but instead they pursued bold ministry. But you've got to ask at a certain point, how? How were they able to pursue bold ministry in the midst of such difficult circumstances, in the midst of, uh, of such barriers? Well, uh, there are answers to that question here in this text. So not only do we see the barriers that they had to bold ministry, but we see that they, the source they had for bold ministry, what motivated and empowered them for bold ministry. I believe there's basically two streams of influence, two streams of influence that are causing these men uh, to minister so boldly. First, the message of the gospel, and second, the power of the Holy Spirit. So the gospel and the Holy Spirit. So it's clear from this uh, passage that Peter was gripped by the gospel. Let's, let's keep reading, actually, from where we left off as we, we um, see this man regaining strength in verse 7. Uh, verse 8, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So, in other words, this man receives his healing and he goes into the temple walking and leaping, not, you know, not merely like limping in, like, oh, he's on the path to recovery, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people who saw it were amazed. They knew this man. They knew he had been lame from birth. They knew that he, was, he wasn't a charlatan, like he wasn't out to trick them. And so they were amazed and astonished. So Peter, an astute evangelist, uh, recognized the opportunity here to proclaim the good news of Christ. So he begins, uh, we, we won't read all of it, we won't read, I'll, I'll just summarize here um, from you know, verse 11 through the end of the chapter. Basically, he presents another sermon about uh, the good news of Christ. Um, so Peter, Peter lets them know that uh, it was not by their own hands that this man was healed, but instead it was the power of Christ, the same Christ who was just among them performing miracles like this one. Um, Peter speaks directly to them. And he condemns them for their role in, uh, in condemning Christ by preferring a murderer. And he pulls off the gas a little bit, and uh, he's a bit gentler with them, saying that they acted in ignorance. They didn't know what they were doing. But Peter clarifies, fills in the blanks for them, and, and, and shows them, um, shows them the, uh, what they were missing in the scriptures, told them that Christ had suffered and died on their behalf. Um, and now if they would only repent of their sins and believe in Christ, they'd be forgiven. There'd be a time of refreshing and Christ would turn them from their wickedness into, um, into righteousness. 
message here, what we see from this is that Peter was captivated by the gospel. Peter was captivated and motivated by the gospel. The gospel message had changed him. It changed his heart and had given him boldness in his proclamations. We must ask how. How does the message of the gospel cause this kind of change? Well, there's a couple of suggestions. Number one, the gospel is a life-altering, world-changing, stop-what-you're-doing-right-now kind of message. Um, here's what I mean. Many things in your life can be good news, right? Many things in your life can be good news. Bonus at work, good news. You know, graduating from college, it's good news. For some of you sickos, when the McRib is back, good news, you know? Lots of things could be good news, but nothing will ever be good news on the scale of the gospel. This is good news in a cosmic, worldwide scale. That Christ, one man, came and lived and died for the sins of many. And that, by, that, that all people have the opportunity to repent and to believe in him and, and to have the most fundamentally uh, wrong thing about them, uh, their sin, Change. They could be forgiven and have new life in him. That is good news on a cosmic scale. So uh, the gospel is a life-changing, um, world-altering message that uh, gripped Peter and caused him uh, to proclaim the good news. But we also have to remember that the gospel itself is powerful. The sheer power of the gospel propels us into bold ministry. Um, the gospel has changed many, many lives, changed my life, has changed your life. We know that the gospel works. Many of you know that uh, before I came to work here, I, I worked at a furniture store part-time. I started out doing, like, furniture assembly, delivery, you know, moving stuff around the showroom, um, working in, in the warehouse, that sort of thing. Uh, after a certain amount of time, I started doing clerical work in sales, um, so knowing, knowing what you know from the beginning of the sermon, the fact that I was not bold enough to return a cheeseburger, um, do you think that I would be a good salesman? No is the correct answer to that question. Um, but uh, I was, after I spent more time with, with the product, I, I knew what it was that I was selling, right? I was familiar with it. And I didn't, it gave me a bit more confidence to the point where I knew I wasn't selling someone a piece of junk, Right? So if we as Christians were peddling snake oil, it would be right for us to be ashamed of the message that we have. But what we proclaim is good news that has caused change in our own hearts, the lives of our church, and millions, countless others. As this gospel message was proclaimed in Acts 2 and here in, in Acts 3, thousands were caught in their hearts and made to believe in Christ. So we see that the gospel empowered this bold ministry, but we also see the Holy Spirit empowering this bold ministry. Um, Peter held the power of the gospel as a motivator for him, but as we see consistently throughout the book of Acts, um, the Holy Spirit was at work in these men to change them and to embolden them for ministry. So um, I don't want to re-preach, you know, the message that was 
preached a few weeks ago on Pentecost, but we know uh, the immediate transformation that came upon these uh, apostles as the Holy Spirit came upon them. They're huddled in the upper room, uh, you know, afraid of their fate, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they receive power, and immediately uh, Peter goes out and preaches this bold sermon where thousands of people come to faith in Christ. The ministry that we see of the apostles here in the book of Acts, including uh, here in chapters 3 and 4, is ministry that is empowered and enabled by the working of the Spirit. The Scripture testifies again and again and again that, that God calls us to ministry, but God empowers us for ministry through the work of the Spirit. I mean, even here, these words of Christ in Luke 12, 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities... Don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Truly, good God does not leave us how we are, but he calls us and empowers us through his Spirit for ministry. So here's the good news. Both of these things, the gospel, Holy Spirit, are available and accessible to us today. The gospel hasn't went anywhere. Holy Spirit hasn't went anywhere. We still have uh, the ability uh, to minister boldly. There's no need for us to remain timid and on the sidelines of ministry. The power of the gospel enlivens us and gives us the confidence uh, that our work is true, good, and right. The Holy Spirit indwells and empowers us to minister with boldness. But, you know, if understanding these sources of boldness can't convince you, uh, maybe understanding what can come from emboldened ministry will, right? If you're not convinced that the source is enough, maybe you'll be uh, appealed by the destination. Um, so let's move now to the outcomes that we see from this emboldened ministry. We've, we've looked at barriers. We've seen the source of emboldened ministry. Now the outcome of emboldened ministry. Let's just look here in 4 verses 1 through 3. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed uh, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So out come the bold ministry. Uh, they were arrested. Um, I sure, surely you expected that, right? I mean, we did read it earlier, right? You've already heard it. Um, Yes, yeah, so we are tempted to think, we're tempted to think that when we minister boldly that the immediate outcome is going to be, um, is going to be repentance, is going to be wonderful things, right? Because we, we're putting ourselves out there, the Lord has promised, all these things. But we see here that bold ministry is not always priceless, right? As in, without a price. Um, bold ministry is priceless in that it's very valuable, but it is not without a price. <laughs> anyway, uh, so... There are times where uh, bold ministry will cost us, right? For these men, night in prison. Um, I can't promise to you is that you, you minister boldly in a world of sin, a world that, that opposes the message of Christ, that there will never be negative consequences. I, I cannot promise you that. I mean, even in this text, we see this. I mean, are you going to be put in jail for ministering boldly? No, unless you do something crazy that, uh, you know, is, is not exactly what we would probably call bold ministry, you know, illegal activity. Um, but you're not, you're not going to be put in jail. But will you risk friendships at times? You know, will, will you potentially damage 
um, potentially damaged relationships that have always been, you know, normal, as we talked about familiarity earlier? Yeah, that's possible. At times, as you minister boldly, will you go away from a conversation feeling like an idiot? Yes, that's quite possible. There are, at times, negative outcomes uh, for bold ministry. However, however, I do not believe that any time those negative outcomes come, or they, do they even come close to outweighing this outcome in verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. The second outcome of this bold ministry is gospel fruit, is repentance, belief in Christ, changed lives, changed hearts. It's impossible to know exactly how many people came to Christ as a result of this, but it could be up to 2,000, right? Because there were 3,000 day of Pentecost. Now, church number 5,000. Don't know how many there were in between. But regardless, many people came to believe in Christ from this one act of bold ministry. What began as ministry to, uh, to an individual, ministry to, to a lame man at this gate, then became... Uh, gospel fruit. Many people repenting and believing in Christ. So at times persecution, sure, but even greater, much better gospel fruit. Um, I'm sure if Peter were here today, Peter and John, they would testify without shred of hesitation that night in jail was worth the gospel fruit that came from this ministry that they pursued. All right, so let's summarize all of what we've heard now before I leave you with just a bit of a personal charge. So we've recognized the challenges that these men face in ministry. Familiarity, steep odds, high stakes. Um, however, they overcame these challenges, uh, or rather the Spirit overcame the challenges in them through the power of the gospel and the strength that the Spirit provides. Finally, even though they endured some persecution, they ultimately saw much gospel fruit as a result of their ministry. So bringing this together for all of us, we will most certainly face barriers to bold ministry. However, God has given us the strength, the power, and the equipping that we need to overcome those barriers through bold ministry in the name of Christ. Last, the fruit of ministry. People with restored lives changed hearts. Idolaters changed to worshipers. This is all possible because of the power of the gospel and the spirit at work within us. And so here's my personal charge challenge this morning. Take some personal inventory and ask, is God calling me to some particular kind of bold ministry, some area of my life? Perhaps it's bold ministry here, Trace Crossing, bold ministry in your, your personal life or bold ministry in our city um, or even further uh, through the nations. I'm, I'm begging you to take the example of these men um, through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the gospel to pursue bold ministry so that something incredible, gospel fruit, could be accomplished.